welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy. This is your host, Minion, also known as Rob. Okay, it's Sunday. No, it's not. It's Monday. It's a national holiday, so it feels like Sunday. And I'm walking along the path, my walk route. It's just after 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, and uh, I've been listening to a band called, uh, God, what was it, Creeping Death or something. Um, so my mind, uh, it's 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 like a death death metal or something like this, and the, the vocals are got your screeching high uh, high end kind of a backing vocals with the really low kind of gruff uh, napalm death type vocals, um, and that's one way to wake up in the morning. <laughs> I feel like my brain has been put for a blender, but actually my. My brain is always like that in the morning, so it probably helps wake, wake me up. Um, walking along, it's been raining, and so it's a little bit cooler than usual. It feels like ah, it could even be 28 degrees. Um, it's probably more like 29, but the humidity has got to be like 70%. So it's actually um, very close, a little bit oppressive, um, and looks like there may be rain, more rain. Uh, afternoon but my plan today um, is to sit at home and finish the rest of season 10 of Walking Dead with my wife who is quite hooked on that series um, man I, how many flashbacks do you need you know that series there's some some parts about I particularly like there's other elements which uh, drive me batty and the flashback sequences you know, that, that does me in, that really does my head in. Anyway, anyway, uh, I'm going to talk about today is um, probably um, the game that we had. I think I'll talk just about the game I had uh, last night. Well, it's not, it wasn't night, yesterday afternoon in Osaka with the Osaka Adventurers Union, uh, my face-to-face -face group. I say my in the, the sense of our, <laughs> but not yours. Um, and uh, it might, went much better than planned. So in case you're just listening today and you've not heard the episode prior to this, we've just started up a Dark Sun campaign using the second edition of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. Um, and what to say? Well, we had a two weeks ago, we had a session zero. One of the players wasn't present at the time. Um, and in fact, yesterday was the first time that we were able to get everyone around the table together because uh, we had a new player come in just around the time that one of the uh, established players had uh, returned to Canada for his summer vacation. And so <clears throat> we now have uh, we now have uh, no Americans in our group. We just have myself, who is a mixed. British Canadian, um, two other Canadians, um, two Australians. Now with the new guy coming in, and um, and uh, we have a uh, uh, Japanese um, Filipino. So I don't know, you know, national nationality isn't really a big deal here, but you, you get the idea. We're we're English speakers from around the globe, and so we. We you know we get together and do role playing in English, um, 
that's what we do. So, right, 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 right. So, the, um, the session went much better than I thought it would go. Okay, so in the, within the first hour or so, we looked over the characters. We finished off character generation in some cases. Um, I'd been a little concerned about uh, one of the players. You know who I'm talking about, uh, if, if you're listening. Um, and I'll, he had decided to go for a thief psionicist multi-class now the psionicist remember we as a group have never played second edition together before so we're just starting that so it's got a whole bunch of uh, little sub systems within there optional systems like non-weapon proficiencies and so on that we are adopting because this is dark sun um, one of the other systems is the psionicist system psionic sari are an integral part of uh, the Dark Sun setting. So that's in. And he said, well, you know, let's, well, I'll play one of those. Now, scientists are pretty, pretty cool, I think. I really like, like the uh, system. I think, uh, you know, it, it's cool that you can swap out the magic system. You know, we're not doing that, sorry. <laughs> but uh, it's a, another system of magic. I mean, that was how it was intentionally thought of when it was brought in during... Um, original Dungeons and Dragons, but the second edition rules on Sionics are, um, are are quite um, perhaps a little bit overpowered, uh, it seems, but they are um, an improvement perhaps over the rules in the first edition and the original edition before that. So he, you know, he didn't have the rule book. He, he finally downloaded it, but he had watched some you know he had watched a youtube thing on it he kind of went squatted over it he's a fast guy so he picked up the rules that he needed and um decided on his uh, various disciplines and sciences and devotions or whatever they called on um so he went i forget what it's called actually uh I don't know if it's psychometatosis or it's one of these funny names anyway so he can he basically can use uh, his sonic powers his main science his main kind of focus is changing his or his he's playing a female character a female halfling so her uh, form physical form uh, adapting it and changing it warping it um, and that came into uh, you know, it came in quite interesting. It came in very useful in the session, as you'll hear in a moment. Um, so, you know, went over non-weapon proficiencies over the psionics, um, sort of got everybody's psionic strength points, because even the non-scientists have wild, they are wild talents, which means that they have uh, minor psionic ability, very similar to what was in the previous rules uh, of uh, first edition, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. So uh, that was good, you know. Um, I'd been kind of pushing, pushing a lot of the players, pushing people. Um, one of the players actually had come to me of their own accord on the Friday uh, and asked to rebuild their character. So they they used the same statistics, but they they switched from being a gladiator, which they had chosen despite the fact that their intelligence and wisdom were 17, uh, 18 and 17, or 17 and 18, 
respectively. So they decided to just go straight, instead of doing that, they go and play a uh, Templar, which is interesting, an interesting choice. Now, um, the Templars in Dark Sun are a priest class, and they act as the the administrators, the secret police, the the um, the private army of the sorcerer kings who rule the various city states individually and uh, in rivalry between each other. So they they act as this little secret army, kind of not really very nice people. And in fact, the players may find themselves in conflict with this one particular player which will be interesting however um seeing that this could be a problem i did say suggest that he comes from a one of the um, states in the east a little bit more distant a little bit distant from the the current action um so he is a rival city states templar uh, and for the time being at least he's in the same situation as the players um so that say well that's the seed for drama just waiting to be waiting to be sown and, and to grow up and flourish into some some evil poisonous bush um no yeah uh what else to say i suppose we we checked everything um we rolled then rolled a bunch of stats statistics for the ability scores for the um for a second character but didn't develop the second character. We just left it at the statistics using a different rule from the first n- number of characters. This one was assign as you wish, as opposed to roll in order. Um, and everybody used, used, has used the same system for the first character and used the same system of rolling for the second character. This way, um, they're not simply uh, rolling. Um, they're not rolling uh, um, ability scores in order. Uh, for the second character this time they get a little bit more choice um, to scratch that itch because you know not everybody likes the entirely random thing so we've done both you know and they've they, they can see how that works I mean one of the players he has only play, played 3.5 Dungeons and Dragons edition 3 3.5 uh, before this I, sus- I mean he's played 5th edition right but other than that he's only played 3.5 so he's never played um, AD&D. He's never played any of the old uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So, um, but he, he, he's been very good actually. Uh, this is a new player, um, and seems to be embracing that the kind of ethos that makes it up. How long that uh, that interest will last, I guess, depends on the group and their own preferences. Um, ho- hopefully, though, um, they won't be disappointed. Um, the session um we played the adventure a little knowledge dot 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 in the original box set and we only got through the first two scenes but uh, i'm very happy at that um what i did i didn't do a huge amount of um prep um i just you know i've read the stuff i've read the material um i went over the introduction a few times in my head thought of ways of narrating it because I thought that was important um, so I gave them a kind of cinematic um, description of um, of Athas and, and um, the desert and the roads leading through the desert then um, gave them this picture of a 
when I say picture, gave them a picture, I'm saying a, a mental picture, hopefully. So I described um, lizard, you know, maybe a couple of lizards. It's not totally barren, some plants, a skull um, of some beast. And then suddenly it cracks as um, a wheel runs over it. You imagine if this is a movie, the camera pulls back, you see this huge um, wagon, massive wagon, fortified spikes, and it's being pulled by these two kind of lizard-like um, creatures uh, covered in in armor, blah, 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 right? So I give them that, but then I, and I, I explain the, the colors and, you know, the oranges, the reds, um, the, the color of the sky almost melding with that of the land, you know, the, the dust and the particulate in the air, the, the big red um, giant uh, sun in the sky, swollen and trying to burn its way through the atmosphere. Uh, then I describe the fact that they're in the hull. They can't see this. They know, they can imagine what it's like, but they're actually inside. They're inside the hull, the hold of this big wagon and they have been taken by the Resherek merchant house bought as slaves on the market in Uruk Uruk <clears throat> and they are being transported to the a different rival city state of Tyr to be sold at a high price for some unknown reason now uh, that's how it starts, they've got no equipment <laughs> They're just dressed in rags. They're bound up inside this hold. Um, and I've kind of left it open. They're with some other slaves, which is not in the adventure, but I've left it open to that they're with maybe another five, six other slaves who p- potentially could be player characters if the, any of the PCs die uh, during the uh, adventure. And then we can have... One of these guys, you know, kind of coming up and uh, taking the place of those. So I've, they've asked me a description. I said, I told them what I'm doing. You know, I'm leaving this as a, it's a quantum space. You know, I'm leaving it open um, so that it can be filled in later. Um, and I can say, hey, you know, this guy was in the hold with you and took part in the, in the rebellion, which is next stage. So they're bound up with giant hair rope. Um, remember, metal is... Uh, fairly rare on Athas, the world of the dark sun. And they um, they need to think of a way of getting out. So the, the rope actually goes outside. Um, they need int- massive strength to break this giant hair rope. They don't have the strength to do it. So the rope comes outside and it's knotted outside, apparently. They're not aware of this at the time. Um, so the... They immediately start thinking of plans for escape, of course, right? And that's the idea that they think up, start thinking how to, where to take this story. Um, and now the thing I like about this adventure is that it's written in various um, as various scenes, uh, each one going on a page, a single page with all the statistics, the ideas, the issues, the problems, or whatever you know. Um, and they don't have to be all played. They sometimes they jump out depending on their choices from one scene to a different scene, and um, it, it's quite quite free, quite a free adventure. Um, um, now they decide came up with a plan that as they get closer, after say you know a few more days of travel, as they get closer to Tyr, 
they'll try to make their escape. Um, now, the sound assist has the ability to turn into a kind of um, ectoplasmic form. So they're going to use that, uh, try and free the others, you know, go, go through the walls, slip their bonds, go through the walls, free the others. You get the idea, right? Um, and this is, in fact, what they do, but uh, they don't do it until it's before, the, before they're able to do it, I should say. Take a breath. They are, um, the caravan is uh, ambushed by elves. Oh, oh no. Uh, so it seems like uh, suddenly the plot is re- raising its head and they're being forced into, into um, well, uh, following my lead rather than their lead. But um, you know, that's not very comfortable either. Uh, so there's an attack on the caravan. So now they're forced to put their plan uh, forward and to take action now. Um, so in the written adventure, there's a diff- different ways it can work out. However, since they're the ones actually f- becoming the, es- you know, forcing the escape, I let them use their plan um, to to do it. Um, this way, they have the um, authority. You know, um, they have. Um, ability to take action and do things as they wish so um, that's great so we went with that changes to the story very little really excuse me just getting a drink it's getting hot doesn't change the story hugely um, from a pen and paper from a printed adventure aspect it's not really important but what is important is that the players have um, some degree of uh, autonomy um, and that's going to be an issue going through um, this adventure and perhaps all adventures now that I play um, how to how to ensure that the, the player autonomy takes precedence over anything written on page, anything I've planned anything some writer has planned it, it's not important when it comes down to it what is important is the group feels that they are able to contribute to the, the experience that we're having around the table um, not just feeling but actually physically um, doing it and being being able to profit from from their ingenuity um, now all right blah 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 you, we, we've heard some of this before perhaps I mean if you've listened to me before I've, I've run up against these kind of problems in other adventures I've played. Not such a big problem though in in this adventure uh, at least this first Dark Sun adventure, I'm not sure about the others Right so the guy I should say the the gal the halfling, uh, psionicist thief slips her bonds it goes up to plasmic, slips bonds pokes her head through the one of the walls where the ropes are uh, exiting just to check nobody's there, she sees one of the guards dash out of the of a, a room, uh, picking up. It picks up a crossbow, dashes out. She finds the room is a store and has lots of weapons. Um, weapons typically are not metal; um, they're usually made of from inferior uh, materials that uh, aren't quite as effective as the ordinary weapons of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so, th- this room is filled with swords and daggers and. Uh, 
battle axes using uh, obsidian made from obsid obsidian which gives a minus two to hit and a minus one on damage um so you know typically characters in this game don't have a high armor class um which makes them easier to hit but a lot of the weapons are actually very poor quality so they they are limited in their ability to um strike through armor and to deal damage right so the little halfling undoes the bonds the players start uh, breaking out she actually slips around and and sh uh, opens the bolt as well to their cell and um all the slaves just start to escape now the the guards on the uh, on the uh slave wagon uh, are now preoccupied with an attack that's happening now there's been some kind of uh, explosion outside um um they're busy trying to fight them off so the the pcs the the slaves um start to grab weapons and and uh, make their escape the first thing that the players think of which is a great idea is to look for equipment other than other than uh the weapons now um they can't use all the weapons weapon proficiencies mean that you know you're not necessarily going to have what you want um but they they take stuff and they're going to improvise um coming you know once they've got time to modify the weapons a little bit they'll try to improvise maybe make some quarter staffs out of the battle axes and so on um uh, they find where the water is, they find where gruel is, they, they feel their stomachs full of water and gruel, they start loading uh, water into um, quart-sized uh, vessels, um, collecting, uh, they have 20 quart-sized vessels, so they fill them all up, that's a lot of stuff to carry, a bit of weight, but what they do, and this is a great idea, is one of the rooms that they discovered, the first room they went to, had, had, um, hammocks so they take the hammocks down um they use some of them for belts and other things but they take two of them intact and they place the vessels inside the hammocks so that they can um, put 10 in each one and carry them between um four of the players right and i thought oh this is just a fantastic idea um water is going to be their most valuable asset uh, it's going to be more valuable than gold um, or ceramic pieces or whatever this is the thing so um, they don't find any armor but they do find water magic uh, now they are with a thrycreen or thrycreen or however you pronounce it I say thrycreen um, fighter the thrycreen doesn't need as much water as the others this is also going to help and a number of the players have um, skills in in um, heat protection is that the word the ability to use um, clothing hoods and things which they found to ward off some of the worst effects of heat this means that they if they make a successful roll each day for example they need half as much water as normal uh, there's other uses as well but that's good for now so they need about a gallon a day i think um, the average humanoid needs about a gallon of water a day in the desert to keep hydrated um any less than that i mean if they're inactive they can cut it down there's a few other things that they can do conditions that they can do otherwise they start to dehydrate and that's not good because um, it affects everything 
and it's really high, hard to then rehydrate. Um, so you get the idea. And basically, this is as far as we took the game. Uh, no, one thing there was a the, the guards, um, one of the teams of guards that had been changing their chamber pot and feeding them uh, twice a day, giving them water twice a day, has uh, broke in on them. And we had a combat. Um, interesting combat. It's quite fast. Um, we use the basic initiative rules for uh, second edition, which I'll go into a little bit later, perhaps. And um, what happened was, you know, they've got some weapons. Uh, the Fry Queen actually has natural weapons and multiple attacks. Very overpowered race, actually, um, it seems. But, you know, we're, we're rolling with this. We're just going to enjoy it. Um, the there are seven of the enemy, five of the player characters. Uh, one of the um, enemy is a silencer. Um, so he immediately try starts contacting the two two of the players in order to begin using his uh, mental powers of dominant domination and so on on the on them. That's his plan anyway. The other ones break off, two on the fry cream, one on each of the other players. They're all locked in combat. Um, the two spellcasters, or two of the spell, two of the spellcasters, um, the Templar and the Water Cleric cast spells. The Water Cleric casts a Bless spell. The Templar casts a Hold Person spell. The Unfortunately, the um, Cleric's um, Bless spell is interrupted because they lost initiative. Um, and the it is ruined. There's no concentration in this game. Great. So we've learned something. It's a sport spell. It's a bit disappointing for the cleric player, but an uh, important lesson nonetheless. The other spell, however, goes off magnificently, the whole person spell. Um, interestingly, it, it's not uh, a choice of how many people it affects in the second edition. You roll the d4. Hmm, okay. And then based on the number, uh, it affects more or less characters with a difference in saving throw as per the original uh, the older first edition rules it hits uh, affects three of them they all f uh, fail their saving throw including the silencist now the silencist is unable to move but uh, as it says although they can't uh, i think they can talk actually whole person but they can use mental power, so that's the point here. Um, so he's able to continue using psionics, even though he is held. However, being held is a problem, <laughs> uh, to say the least, for them. And the players then have the, now have the advantage. Um, I, I kind of botched the rules a wee bit. Come on, go. I, I botched the, the, the uh, rules a little bit. Um, but I didn't want to spend too much time looking things up. So we had uh, two issues that came up. One was um, the cleric who had cast the bless spell was holding a, a dagger, I think. I think an uh, obsidian dagger, but they can't use it. They, have to, they can only use um, organic weapons, um, which we talked about and then decided that it had to be carbon-based, and obsidian isn't carbon-based. So... Um, they weren't really able to use that. I said, you know, that you could, they could use it, but it might affect their their um, their spell powers and so on um, as a as a kind of a, 
a punishment for for breaking the rules you know um not a punishment for me but a punishment from the powers that the uh the powers that be the the powers of the water elemental world or whatever you know you have to do something right it doesn't matter what the re- the real reason is but but it's in it's the rules and you got to uh, you got to work with them anyway so he he doesn't want to use the staff so opts to parry i couldn't remember the parry rule so i just said hey um you get a a bonus of 4 to your armor class improving for your armor class which was actually wrong um, there are there is a rule i was right but it isn't it isn't um for a flat four it's half your level and if you're a fighter half your level plus one so it would have been a just a one point improvement uh because that character is a multi-class level two level two uh, thief cleric uh so lots of thieves in this group. We've got a, we've got two thieves and a two multi-class thieves and a bard. So they're going to have to do a lot of stealth work um, and play the game in a, a very interesting, uh, covert way. I think, which could actually be very interesting in this world. Um, the um, other rule that came up was, um, yeah, they held whole person. So we had three uh, NPCs frozen the guards are frozen one could use their sonic powers great we know that now and that's correct the other two were regular guards they couldn't move i I ruled because i didn't want to look up the rule i couldn't find it i ruled that it was automatic hit and they could slay the opponents immediately which i believe is more or less the rule in the first edition it's certainly the rule in um, the pools of radiance um, computer game (laughs) which i which I used to play a lot when I was younger. So I just went with that. And, you know, to be honest, this isn't a... This isn't the massive, most important... The biggest, most important uh, combat of the campaign. So it, I was wrong, slightly. Um, the rules uh, state that the hit is automatic against a helpless opponent if they're sleeping or held, paralyzed. And that if it's in combat... They then take normal damage. If it's out of combat, outside of combat, they are slain immediately. So um, I should have just had them roll normal damage and, you know, hacking away them. This is actually a a good rule and possibly an improvement over the first edition rules if I've got that wrong. Wow, that's some noise. Some boy racer out in his... uh, wide-ass car on these narrow little Japanese roads um, where was I yeah so a bit of an improvement I think over the AD&D rules why because you know what affects the NPCs also can affect the PCs of course so if they're held or put to sleep in a combat they really don't want to be slain in one attack so th- this kind of rule that means that they take damage instead of um, you know, auto kill is there also to protect the players in a combat situation. It's not going to protect them outside of combat, however. Something for them to to remember. So, um, I think I can close in saying that all in all, it was a success. Um, the play, player feedback so far has been very positive. They enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. We got the game running, which is a huge, 
huge um, achievement as I was. It's a huge achievement uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, that was our first, that was my first um, experience in playing or running a game in the world of the Dark Sun, the Dark Sun setting. Um, something I've wanted to, to do since the box set came out. Um, so it just it just feels really um, satisfying in that sense. Also, we we um, got a solid grasp, I think, of character generation, of the rules we're going to use. Um, and we started, we rolled the stats for a second character. You can have up to four characters. We're, not, we're only going to have two to start off with. Um, with the these other characters being in in a in in store just in case that they they're needed or we need to you know these uh, other characters actually level up as the main characters do but I won't go into that here just now but it's good to know that they do have characters keeping up more or less with their their the protagonist that they're using currently and they can switch between protagonists as they need them or as an adventure or a campaign part of the campaign dictates now um, oh one other rule that came up was the critical hit I've adopted the confirm a critical hit rule in second edition it sounds very pathfinder and I know Joe will be really interested in this but um, there's a interesting optional rule where critical hits on a 20 you roll a 20, it's a critical hit. Normally, it's the, you know, roll the di damage dice again, right? Everybody has a 5% chance of doing a critical hit. I'm not a fan of that. So, I've gone for the confirm the critical hit rule, which I think is, uh, it slows it down. I've heard some people mention that. But to me, it also builds kind of a sense of anticipation that is, can it really be a crit? Right, so it's worth to just uh, slow things down a little bit there, I think. Now the cool thing is that if you if you then hit, you have to hit their armor class then to confirm that um, confirm that strike, which isn't always difficult, particularly against you know these human opponents who may not have very much armor on, may have no dexterity bonus or anything. So they, you know, they're armor class ten, they're armor class eight. They've maybe got lever on, right? <coughs> they um, let's see. Uh, so the crits um, have to be confirmed. So it's not a case that I'm going to always be hitting the players with crits. It's not the case that they will be always be hitting with crits you know, on a 20. But there is an anticipation there. What I really like about it, beyond that, is that if you roll a second 20, you get to roll again to confirm. And if it's a 20, again and again. And this mounts the dice up one rack each time. So a... Let's let's just consider a, a D8 damage. Well, don't worry about the weapon type or materials. Let's say they've got a plus one strength and they roll a D8 and they get uh, seven damage on a critical and then they get another critical. They get to roll again. Oh, sorry, they get the critical, so they roll the dice. They don't add the strength anymore. So they, they add the, the, the D8 again. If they rolled another 20 and they confirmed that, it would be another D8 and so on. So if they kept on rolling 20s, there's no, um, there's no uh, upper limit to the number of uh, confirmed hits that they, 
uh, confirmed crits that they can have. So they can do unlimited amounts of damage, really. Um, getting a little bit merp-like there, and I really like that, that open-endedness. Of course, the chances of doing multiple, rolling multiple 20s are incredibly unlikely. Um, uh, rolling two 20s, what's that? That's a 0.5%, is that right? 0.5? Perhaps it's more difficult than that? You tell me. I guess I could look it up, but I'm not going to bother. Anyway, it's, it's rare enough that it's not going to happen very frequently. Um, so, um, there were the rules. We all got to play with the rules. We got to see the world of Athas, of the Dark Sun. Um, we got to see how dangerous the Thrykun is with its natural weapons and multiple attacks. Uh, its bites, its claws, that's five attacks around. That's insane. Um... Uh, yeah, and we got to get a bit of a feel for that. Um, do I have anything else to say? Mm, uh, mind is clear at the moment, but I do did come away, um, rules aside, I came away with a feeling that it had been worth it. Um, I'd been kind of frustrated in, in many recent sessions, things not quite working out, but uh, I came out away with this, the sense that the players um, in each in their own way really trying to uh, understand the rules to get into them uh, and to to have a good time at the table and that's what we did oh one more thing uh, experience I'm adopting a really unusual type of experience so you've got two choices really you've got the kind of standard XP XP in second edition gives a little bit more XP for monsters than the first edition and you get experience for gold pieces now gold pieces is irrelevant pretty much money treasure is not that relevant in the, this adventure and probably in most ducks on adventures so i'm going to use the individual experience awards with a twist and the twist is that um the awards are shared so that what that means is so the under the individual experience awards priest or a magic user or whatever to get spell uh, experience for casting a spell based on the level of the spell and it has to be effective in the combat it has to be dramatic right and then they get extra experience for that that experience goes to everybody so this uh, it's then shared out so the whole group benefits from the the thief the rogues um, acting as rogues bards and thieves in this case and um, they will get they will um they all benefit from the the priest type classes casting their spells. They all benefit from the fighter finishing off one of its uh, his opponents, um, and that experience is then shared. Um, there's also experience for ideas and uh, you know various other things. Role playing. They all got into role playing. I gave them a big. I can use these little kind of uh, arbitrary things to just adjust the XP adjust the speed of advancement if necessary a little bit so that's what i'm doing um i think uh it's going to be okay the, for this uh first session which was only about two hours they got a total of for killing these or for defeating the guards they didn't kill them all actually i failed to say that the after the leader was killed and the two two of the guards were killed they two three of the guards were killed the, the remaining guards um, surrendered. They failed their morale check. 
um, also an important part of these rules uh, of AD&D rules um, I forgot what I was going to say there <laughs> anyway you get the idea uh, it went reasonably well and um, I'm happy with it so I've got an experience system that hopefully will be a, a bit more make more sense in the in the campaigns and uh, I can always fiddle with that oh yeah I was going to say how much it's about 300 350 experience points each for this this first you know these two scenes these this first uh, two hour or so session I think that's pretty good that's a total of 1,500 or something a little bit over that 1,700 so I think that's um, uh, about right experience wise for what they're doing nothing earth shattering but it was important and um, yeah we had a good time as I've said multiple times so I'm going I'm to stop now because I'm next to a busy road but uh, thank you for listening so far Well, I've got a few more. Actually, I've got some calls. Not a few more calls. I've got a few calls from Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Podcast. But I think I'll just hold on to those and maybe release a shorter podcast sometimes, uh, episode sometime this week. Uh, because this one has already gone over time and it's kind of late and I want to get this out before it, you know, it just uh, languishes. So um, that's that. And also, I believe in the next few days, um, Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast uh, is going to release a uh, an episode about um, well a, about a, uh, a a film that we watched together, and uh, so um, that's the Wild Angels, um, starring Peter Fonda, uh, before before the famous Easy Rider, of course. But um, so uh, if you have time and if you're interested. You know, give, go um, go across to Nerds Variety Cast and uh, have a listen to that. That's quite a long one, though. I think it's about two hours. We really, uh, really rambled, um, but uh, it's all good stuff. So uh, if that uh, tickles your fancy, get on over there. Anyway, um, that's enough for today. Thank you so much for listening right to the end. If you did so, if you didn't, well, this is uh, you know you probably heard enough of me just from listening for these past uh, 10, 20, 30 seconds. So uh, until next time, take care and uh, all the best. Bye-bye.